chapter 1. And there we read these familiar words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Now this morning we are continuing our series uh, through the life of Jesus. We're really kind of jumping into it this week. And if you were with us last week, I mentioned that when you read through the Gospels, when you read through the public ministry of Jesus, Jesus is always a man on the move. So today, as we start looking at the story of the Gospels, we're going to start following that journey of Jesus. And as we go through this series, all along the way, we're going to see that that the journey of Jesus is also an invitation, that we are invited to join him on this journey. Now, as we begin again, let me just remind you that uh, we're making this devotional guide available. I'll talk a little bit more about this later. If you haven't picked one up, you can pick one up today. It's also available online at hfcinfo.com, so I'll mention that again. But as we begin this journey of paying attention to the public ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, we're going to start with this opening description of Jesus at the beginning of John's gospel. Because it's a fascinating description of who Jesus is, right? He was the word. Now, why would John use that terminology to begin talking about Jesus. I mean, there's so many, right, so many fascinating titles, uh, themes associated with who Jesus is in the New Testament. He's the Son of God. He's Messiah. Why would John begin by talking about Jesus as the Word? I think uh, arguably part of the answer to that question is this. There are clues in the book that John expects his readers, for the most part, to already know something about Jesus, maybe to already be familiar with Mark's gospel. Furthermore, I think there are also clues in the book that that John intends for his book to be heard or to be read more than once. So it's almost like John saying to his readers, to his listeners, look, I know you already know something about Jesus. Furthermore, as you go through my material, you're going to hear different stories about the life of Jesus. And as you think about this, as you listen well, here's a concept that helps to put it all together in terms of who Jesus was. Jesus was the Word. And in a similar way, I think John would say to us as a church community, hey, you you know what, you as a church, you're about to go through the life of Jesus. You're going to see different scenes from his life. And one thing to keep in mind as you look at all these different stories, even stories that are very familiar to you, is the reality that Jesus was the Word. Now, as we think about this term and look at John's introduction, let's just ask a couple of questions. Right? So let's just ask, okay, so what what does this actually say about Jesus? And then secondly, let's kind of make it a little more practical and say, well, what what does this say about us? What does it say about you and me? So let's begin by kind of looking at this term and, and then looking at several parts of this prologue and saying, so what does this say about Jesus? Now, in terms of thinking about the word, Let me just highlight a couple of dimensions of what that looks like. Uh, When John is talking about Jesus as the Word, among other things, it's highlighting Jesus as revelation. 
Jesus as revelation of who God is. In other words, John is, is saying right from the beginning that, you know what, Jesus reveals God to you. Interestingly, the, the Greek word underlying that English word, word is logos. And it can be used in a variety of ways. It can be translated word, but in, in some context, it really gets to the idea of the essence of something, the nature of something, even the study of something. And this is, among other things, where this, this term kind of moves into the English language and that suffix, right, ology, right? When we think about, right, the study of rocks is geology, Think about terms like psychology, anthropology, archaeology, right? They, they all get at kind of the study of something, understanding the nature of something, the structure of something. In calling Jesus the word, John is saying, look, what you need to understand is as you follow the life of Jesus, even as you as a church are going to walk through that story, what Jesus is doing, he is revealing the reality of who God is to you. In fact, maybe you're, you would say, you know what, I'm just kind of exploring Christianity, not really sure what I think, I'm kind of on the fence, and if that's where you're at, we're just, we're just glad you're kind of hanging in there with us, but if that's where you're at, let me just particularly encourage you to join us in this series, to join us in this study, because if you really want to understand Christianity, you need to look at Jesus, and that's part of what John is telling us. So when he talks about Jesus as the word, there's, there's a dimension here that really emphasizes Jesus' revelation. I think a second dimension to this imagery is this. It's kind of a dimension which you might call results. And you're like, what, is, what do you mean by results? What, is, what do results have to do with Jesus as the word? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a conversation before, right, where you're talking to someone um, maybe you're hearing a sales pitch for something, and in the course of the conversation, you're just kind of nodding along, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, these are just empty words, right? These are just hollow words. Or maybe there are some people in your life that you've just come to realize they say a lot of things, but they don't follow through. They can make a lot of promises, but the promises really don't mean anything. Do you know people like that? You kind of put into that category. And, and in essence, what we're saying, I, I just don't put a lot of weight in their words. <laughs> Even as a dad, you know, now that our sons are older, sometimes I've joked with them about this. I, I still remember scenes when they were much younger. Maybe it was getting close to Christmas. And, and we'd have conversations like that. One of them would look deeply into my eyes and say, Dad, if you just give me this toy... I will never ask for anything ever, ever again. And I just nodded, you know, that's just things kids can say, but I knew those, no, those words aren't true. See, in our human experience, we're tragically too often accustomed to words that really turn out to be meaningless. And sometimes because we're so accustomed to that, we're, we lose sight of the fact that God's words are different. Isaiah 55 says this, my word will not return to me empty. In other words, God is saying my, my words are not empty words. But it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, God's word achieves its purpose. In fact, when we read this opening part of, of John 1, it, 
it has echoes, reminders that point us back to Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created. And we read through that account of God creating and shaping the world. And, and throughout the account, God just speaks and things happen. Because God's words are never empty or meaningless. So in calling Jesus the word, John is saying this, this word will achieve his intended results. He will achieve his mission. He will fulfill God's promises. So in saying Jesus is the word, there's, there's a dimension, right? It means Jesus is going to reveal God to us. Secondly, it means Jesus is going to achieve his intended purpose. He will fulfill his mission. And thirdly, this, this term word gets to the reality of relationship. Think about this. Words are how we communicate, right? Words, words are how we build relationships. And in the important relationships in your life, in the meaningful relationships, the significant relationships in your life, words, words are just a part of that process. In fact, you would probably say that, that in those really meaningful relationships, in those significant relationships with, in my life, there's things I can say in those relationships. There are words that, that I can use that I'm just not free to use in other relationships. So in describing, in describing Jesus as the word, John is, is saying, right, he's, he's the one who comes to fulfill God's promises, and in doing that, he's the one who shows us that, you know what, God is pursuing us. God is pursuing a relationship with us because he's communicating with us through the reality of Jesus. So this is just a little bit of background in thinking about Jesus is the word, right? I mean, that means as as we go through this series, he's going to reveal God to us. As we go through this series, there are going to be some prizes, some twists. There's going to be opposition. There are going to be moments in Jesus' life that seem like supreme failure. And yet the ultimate reality is, as God's word, he does not fail to achieve his mission. And central to his mission is, is bringing us into relationship with himself. So with that in mind, let's just look at, at two parts of this opening part of John's gospel, two parts of this prologue. We'll begin with the first section, John 1, 1 to 4. Listen to these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So from the very beginning, John makes very definitive claims about the reality. Jesus is God, and he begins to give us clues about the nature of the Trinity. And then, particularly with that use of in the beginning, he starts to give us links between Jesus and creation, right? And that becomes more apparent. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Then we see the introduction to these other themes. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, upon first reading, it seems like he's, he's continuing to talk about Jesus' work in creation, right? I mean, Jesus brings about life and light. He's, he is the source of all life in the world as we see it. It's the source of life in the created order. And all of that is true. 
But again, I think there are clues in the book that John intends for us to read his word more than once. And sometimes as we do that, as we become more familiar with his words, we see multiple layers of meaning and depth. And arguably this is one example of that because I think ultimately he wants us to see the fact that Jesus is not simply the the light of the world and life-giving entity in the world as part of creation, but he also ultimately gives life in the new creation. He's come to bring eternal life, a different kind of life, in establishing relationships with his people. So we see this opening, this opening description of Jesus as the word, which is really, in so many ways, very global. I mean, these are big ideas. These are deep ideas, right? Kind of a, a global perspective. And then as you move through the prologue, John talks about John the Baptist, and then he comes back to Jesus. But now he moves kind of from creation and new creation to the work of incarnation. And he focuses on the reality that Jesus has come into our world in his pursuit of us. So this continues uh, in John 1, 9 through 14. Right, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world did not recognize him, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, right? This word, this communicating word has become just like us, taking on human experience and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And again, notice those themes associated with the word here. He he has revealed God, right? He has made his dwelling among us. And the language here kind of gives links to the Old Testament tabernacle, right? The place of God's presence right in the middle of the camp, revealing God to his people. The incarnation, he's he's come revealing who God is. And even though, even though many would reject him, and that's exactly what John acknowledges here, to those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. His mission, even due to that opposition, which we're going to see in this series, his mission would not be thwarted. It's a mission that ultimately brings people into relationship with himself. Right? It's a mission of grace, right? It's the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Interestingly, that language kind of takes us back to an Old Testament scene, the scene that develops in Exodus 32 through 34. Remember, Moses has had problems with the people. They've, they've gone off the rails. They've built a golden calf, and he really wonders, can I lead these people? And he comes to God, and he essence says, look, I don't want to go any farther in this project unless your presence goes with me. I need to know that you're with us. I need to, I need to show me your glory. There's a fascinating scene where God tells Moses, no, you can't, you can't fully see what, what you're asking for, but I'm going to pass, my goodness is going to pass before you. And the language here reflects the language of that scene in Exodus 34. Of God pursuing relationship with his people. 
So as we begin, as we begin this journey, right, through the public ministry of Jesus, through the life of Jesus, let's just acknowledge, you know, what we're going to see, we're going to see stories that are familiar, stories that we know. But as we kind of embrace these stories, let's see them as stories about Jesus, who is the word Jesus, who is revealing God to us. Jesus, who is faithful to his word and fulfills his mission. And Jesus, who is bringing us into relationship so that these stories not only don't simply show us who he is, but they also show us what it looks like to be a part of his mission and his journey. Okay. So if this very briefly includes some of the things that this passage says about Jesus. What, what does this say about us? I mean, at this point I realize, oh, George, those are really big ideas. I mean, John 1, these are really big ideas, and maybe, you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't like to think that deeply. Okay, I get it. But as you listen to what John is saying about Jesus, it actually has some implications about us. There's some very specific things that this passage says about us, and Let me just unpack that for you. Among other things, it says we've been designed with intentionality and purpose, right? John goes into great detail that, look, Jesus is behind all of creation. I think, among other things, that means we've been designed for relationship. To be designed by the word is to be designed for relationship. We've been designed to be in relationship with God and others. Furthermore, now just just think about this for a second. Kind of chew on it with me for a moment. Furthermore, to be designed by the word means that we have been designed to listen. Now here's the deal. I think the fact that we have been designed by Jesus, who is God's word, means that at the core of who we are, at the depth of your soul, in a real sense, you've been designed to listen. That is, your soul has been designed for connection. Your soul has been designed for input from others. I find it interesting, you know, particularly as we've gone through these last two years with greater isolation, greater polarization, greater division, that a national poll was released this week that said the vast majority of Americans now believe we're in a mental health crisis. My thinking is, among other things, whether, whether you believe in God's design or not, the reality is what we have gone through over the last two years has pulled us away from that design, and we're experiencing the consequences, even if we don't know where those consequences are coming from. So to be designed by the word means at the core of who you and I are. The need to listen. It's a need for connection, a need for external input. Now here's one of the reasons why that's important. If I'm not listening to God, and you know, if I'm not engaging God in his word and prayer then most likely I'm listening to something else. Something else is speaking into my soul at the core of who I am. And that may not be helpful. This week, as we were preparing for uh, this message, I was in a conversation with several others, and we were talking about just this idea of, you know, we've been designed to listen. And in the course of the conversation, we acknowledge, you know, if, if we acknowledge there are different, really different things we can be listening to. In essence, different voices that we can be listening to. 
I can listen to voices of culture, right? And just allow my life, my sense of identity to be shaped by cultural factors. This is, hey, this is what you should be doing. This is what it means to live well. This is what it means to have a good life. I can listen to the voice of of family and peers so that who I am and my sense of identity is, is just shaped by the people around me, the group that I'm a part of. I think for some of us, and this is one of the places where this gets really complicated. For some of us, the, the voices we listen to are voices of the past. Voices of previous mistakes. And I'm convinced that at least for many of us, when we mess up, or maybe when it feels like we're under pressure, sometimes Sometimes what we have to deal with is is what I call that accusing voice. Do you know that voice? Do you know that voice that says every time you kind of get off track, well, here you go again. You always do this. Do you know that voice that says you'll never measure up? Do you know that voice that says you'll never overcome past mistakes or past wounds and hurts? that voice that says really you're an imposter and if other people knew who you really were they'd have no interest in you do you know that accusing voice you see one of the reasons it's important to pay attention to jesus as the word is that it says something about who we are it says we've really we've been designed to listen and if i don't seek to listen to him if i don't seek to listen to his word likely I'm listening to something else and that that just may not be helpful and I think when we realize that Jesus is the word when we realize that he's the word who reveals God to us when we realize he's the word who achieves his mission when we realize that he is the word who brings us into relationship we also need to understand what it says about us Maybe one way I would kind of summarize it is this. To live well, we need to listen well. Now, as we start this new year, in so many ways, don't we want it to go better than the last two? As we start this new year, aren't there ways in which you're kind of like, yeah, I just, I'm I'm ready to move on. You know, I think, you know, whatever the new normal looks like, I'm ready to be a part of it. I'm tired of this other stuff. I'm looking forward to things being different in 2022. I want to live well. But even as you think in those terms, you, you also need to recognize that to live well, you need to listen well. And that's something we're going to seek to do through this series as we journey through the ministry of Jesus. We want to listen well. We want to listen well in understanding who Jesus is. We want to listen well in understanding what he is doing. We want to listen well in understanding what it means to follow him. How do we do that? Well, what I want to do this morning is invite you to do several specific things with me. Several specific acts of listening. 
Now, I realize at this point you might say, well, George, I know it's, you know, we're kind of at the beginning of the year, and some people, they, they use the beginning of year to start with New Year's resolutions, but I'm not into that. I tried it before. I never kept them, and, and I get that. I'm, I'm not a person that kind of adopts New Year's resolutions either. So instead of thinking about New Year's resolutions, as we now enter this series, what I want you to think about is, is just developing and fostering certain habits. I mean, if we need to listen well to live well, these are the kinds of habits that will help us do that. These are the concrete kind of steps that we can take in living that way. And really, the purpose of these habits that I'm going to be talking about is simply this. The purpose is to make space for God in in our lives and his work. These are habits that help us listen well. So let me mention several. First, just the reality of engaging God in Scripture. I, I mentioned this a moment ago, but we, uh, if you haven't picked this up, to pick up the devotional guide that goes with this series. And you can uh, pick it up here if you are present this morning in a physical copy. We have it available online as well for those of you joining us online. hfcinfo.com is where you'll find that. And with each of the weeks of this series, there, there is, is opportunity for three days during that week for you to kind of engage the scripture that we've been looking at and to, to read it, just kind of respond and kind of reflect on what this means for you. And so we've structured the guide in that way so that three days during the week you can kind of go back to the passage that we looked at on Sunday. So as we now start the, this first week, you, there are questions for three days this week that will take you back to John chapter 1. So, again, I want to encourage you to do that. And, you know, as we do that, again, what are we doing? We're making space for God. The goal in these these rhythms isn't simply to be able to check off a box that I've done it, but the goal is really to make space for God to be at work in our lives. In addition to, to kind of getting into Scripture this way through the devotional guide, there are two other rhythms, two other habits that, I want to ask you to join me in doing, particularly over the next three weeks. Recently, for our leaders, particularly our elder board, there's just been this recognition. You know, as we go into this new year, in so many ways, it's a new season in the life of our church. And as we enter this new season, as we enter this new year, we want to do so in a way that we're just open to what God wants to do in the life of our church community moving forward. So with that conviction, we recognized it would be valuable and significant if as we started this year going through the life of Jesus, that we also started with a season of prayer and fasting. So that even as we're getting into the scriptures individually, we're also intentional in praying for our church corporately. And so beginning with this day, which really kicks off this new series, we want to take the first three weeks, the first 21 days of our journey through Jesus' life and, and really set them aside as a season of prayer and fasting. Uh, with that in mind, we, we've prepared this guide. If you didn't get one on your way in, I would ask that you pick one up on your way out. Again, for those of you joining us online, this is available at hfcinfo.com. You will find a tab there for our prayer and fasting season. 
So what exactly are, are we going to be praying for? Let's kind of talk about these other rhythms. I'm inviting you not only to engage scripture, but also to engage in prayer and fasting. But what are, exactly are we praying for? Well, over the next, over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to pray for three things, kind of one theme each week, particularly in the life of our church. We're going to pray for unity, for wisdom, and for boldness. Right, unity, because, hey, we've, gone, we've kind of gone through this season that's been very disruptive nationally, culturally, and even disruptive in our families, and even disruptive at times in our church. We want to pray for unity. We want to pray for wisdom and as we enter this new year and this new season and, and engaging the opportunities God gives us. And we also want to pray for boldness, that as those opportunities become apparent, that we're willing to take them. And how we're going to do it is this. We're just going to use one of Paul's prayers, his prayer in Philippians chapter 1, as prayer prompts for the next three weeks. We're going to use his prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 and take one verse a week. So, for instance, this week as we pray for really unity, we're going to just pray with this verse as our prayer guide. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Here Paul is praying that the church would grow in their love, and I think that's love of God and also love of one another, but it's not a sentimental love because it, it's to be rooted in knowledge and depth of insight. And that, that includes the idea of, of being rooted in the gospel. And so this week we will use that as, as a prayer prompt, and then next week, verse 10, and then the third week, verse 11. Now, I realize at this point it may seem like, uh, oh, George, now you're really starting to overload me. I've got this devotional guide. I've got this prayer and fasting guide. So how, how is this all going to work together? Well, here's, here's kind of what I'm going to do. Let me just kind of explain you my approach. Here's what I started. I did this this morning. So I started by writing that verse just on a 3 by 5 card. And each week I'll, I'll add the next verse in the series. And what I'm going to do is just keep this in my pocket. So every time I kind of reach for my phone or my keys, I'm going to hit that card. And it's, it's just a reminder to pray. The prayers don't have to be long. I mean, it's praying, hey, that we would, we would grow in our love for one another. And that we'd grow in our knowledge and depth of insights. So I'm going to be praying, hey, that, that we're going to, you know, we've, we've kind of experienced tension and disagreement. And all, over all we've gone through, that, that, that God would continue to bring us together. And I'm going to pray that, you know, that's going to be rooted in the gospel. Even, even as we go through the life of Christ, that the more we learn about Christ, and as our depth of insight grows in terms of who he is and what he's doing, that, that that's really going to play itself out in our relationships. Just every time my hand hits that card, just, just a quick prayer. But, you know, here's, here's what I think can happen sometimes when we do that. When we, when we pray scripture like this, I, I think over time it, it can also challenge us. God, God begins to work in us and, and say things like, well, George, here's something you can do to be a part of that. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me that way. And so what I'm going to do this week is, uh, you know, on three days during the week, I'll, I'll go through the devotional guide. But on those other days, I'm going to try to be more intentional just in praying through this passage. And again, every time my hand hits the card in my pocket, just a real quick prayer. And praying for us as a church community, praying for us as a church family. So engaging God in scripture, prayer. And now at this point, you might say, okay, George, I'm kind of following you up to now, but you mentioned fasting. 
and I've never done that before. Well, if that's where you're at, uh, let me just also acknowledge this is really a growth area for me. Um, so I understand where you're at. But here's one of the reasons why I think this is important for us to do now. One of the things I have to, one of the things I've learned over the last two years, particularly under the stress and pressure of, of all that we've gone through, and one of the things I've learned is, if, you know what, if I'm not intentional in listening to God, I just too easily hear those other voices. If I'm not intentionally listening to God, that, <laughs> that accusing voice can get really loud in my head. And sometimes I can't turn it down. In some ways, the best way to kind of turn it down is to turn other things out, to make space in my life for God to be at work. And, and I really think fasting is, is one of the ways we do that. You're like, well, how is that possible? And I realize when we think of, of fasting, we think just about, right, abstaining from food, and that's the way fasting is presented in Scripture in different ways. We see people fasting in the midst of crises. We see fasting built into the rhythm of ancient Israel. Uh, but I think to, to fully understand it, we need to recognize that fasting is uh, it's abstaining from food, but it, it can also be, I think, uh, abstaining from other desirable activities for a season. And the goal isn't simply to abstain, right? It's not, well, I've got to exercise simply in self-denial. No, the, the goal is to abstain so that we're creating a kind of a unique opportunity for God to be at work. The goal is to abstain so that it just kind of helps re, refocus my attention, right? It, it, because fasting is disruptive to the routine. It's kind of disrupting your normal routines in a way that reminds you, wow, wait a minute. I, in the midst of all my crazy activity, I need to remember who God is and who I am. And so it kind of creates a disruptive moment that tills the soil for God to, to be at work. And so ultimately, it's not just about abstaining from something, but using that time that you would normally you know, use for eating or, or doing other things, just using that time just to kind of come back in, in prayer to kind of reorient your, your mind for that season. It can be fasting from food, from things like computer gaming, from shopping, from social media, from other online activity, right? Disrupting your schedule in some way to make space for God to be at work. And so during these three weeks, as we're kind of going through the journal, as we're praying through that prayer, I'm going to invite you in some way just to do something on these three Mondays as an act of fasting. To fast from, from food for the day or part of the day to fast from other, some other activity. So for me, right, so here's what, you know, among other things, here's part of the way I'm going to do this, going to try this tomorrow, is just to, to be off social media and to be off online news and information. And again, what I'm doing, you know, I'm disrupting my schedule, but it's not just about taking things away. It's about, okay, then how can, you know, how can I just use that time to come back and pray for our church just to kind of, Okay, every time I'm, every time it feels natural to go to the, you know, it go to go to my computer browser and hit ESPN. Oh no, no, let me just let me spend this time in prayer. So I want to invite you 
over the next three weeks to, you know, spend part of Monday or all of Monday fasting in some form, willing to give up something that sometimes distracts us, to give up something, to disrupt your life in some way to make space for God's work. And if if Monday doesn't work, then maybe choose another time of the week. Now, I need to be candid, if you, if you know, even as you engage all these disciplines, these practices, does that mean that something dramatic is going to happen in your life over three weeks? Not necessarily. But even if it does, what you're tilling the soil of your soul and learning to listen. Seeking to be a community where that takes place, even as we begin this journey through Jesus. So I want to invite you to join me. Now again, uh, at some point, I encourage you, maybe even today, to check out the additional information in this handout. It kind of gives you some definitions and examples in terms of prayer and fasting. There's also some additional information here that is helpful. Uh, For instance, uh, each Day during this, we'll have an online prayer time early in the morning that you can join us for, and that will be then posted, a brief prayer just to start your day. Also, uh, we're going to be sending out uh, prayer prompts, prayer reminders that you can get if you would like to uh, jump in on those that you can get via text. We have several opportunities to connect with people in prayer, either in person or online, over the next couple of weeks. And also, this, uh, this season of prayer and fasting will culminate on January 29th at the Fountain, when we're just going to come together and have a time of worship and celebration and just kind of hear from one another as to what we've learned during this experience. So will you join me? Join me as we begin this journey through the life of Jesus by making space for him to be at work in our lives. Would you join me in slowing down to listen, not only individually, but as a church community, so that we can move well into this new year and this new season. Now, as we close, here's how I I want to close, right? I'm inviting you even as we start this new week, to to pray with me for the life of our church. And so that's what I want to do. I just just want to use this verse kind of as, as a moment of prompting our prayer for our church community. So with that in mind, would would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, I I pray with the Apostle Paul as he prays in Philippians chapter 1. He prays that our love might abound more and more. And Father, particularly given all that has transpired over the last couple of years and kind of it feels like just the, at times the raising temperature and relationships and interactions with others. Father, I pray that we, that more and more we're going to be a community of people who are learning to love well. Learning to love each other well. People who are learning to kind of love well even when there are points of disagreement. Father, people who are learning to love well even when when there's conflict that leads to hard conversations. People who are learning to love well as we just at times know how to 
take steps of encouragement in the life of other people and build into the people around us intentional ways. So I pray even, even during this week that perhaps for some of us, you, you're just going to make clear steps that we need to take in loving one another well. But Father, I also pray that, that this love, is, it's not simply a sense of duty or sentimentality because this passage goes on to say that that this love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of, of thought and insight. In other words, this, this love is to be rooted in the reality of who you are and what you're doing. So Father, I pray as we go through this series, as we look at the life of Jesus, we see the ups and downs, the twists and turns, and we follow him all along the way. I pray that the more we learn about who he is, that, that in different ways that's going to kind of build into our love for one another. Pray that our understanding.